Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. This infrastructure bill needs its other half. Build back better. It's fabulous. It's great. It's big. Trillions more in inflationary socialism. I'm very happy to see my old friend. Let's get something straight. We're not old friends. What's the best gift to give this year? Protection for ourselves and our families. The jury must decide. Rittenhouse. Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views for a Wednesday. Nothing new as uh, I looked online just a few minutes ago on the Kyle Rittenhouse case. Uh, Stuff happened earlier today where the uh, jury wanted to re-review some of the videos and the judge basically sent everybody out of the courtroom except for the jury and uh, someone to run the video for them as they re-reviewed some of the video from the case. Uh, So they're in day two of deliberation. Well, you know, regarding that case, um, you know, you always hear it here on News and Views first. That's right. I mean, we're... (laughs) Groundbreaking. (laughs) But but no, last night I just got home and uh, flipping channels, and Alan Dershowitz was on Sean Hannity, I believe. And he basically said what we talked about yesterday was, you know, how can there be a 36-page instructions to the jury? Yeah. And Alan Dershowitz, which, you know, Harvard Law professor, one of the greatest legal minds perhaps in the country, said, I read them, and I'm not sure I understand them. <laughs> so, uh, and we talked about that yesterday. How could it be that complicated? Yeah, I mean, usually the the judge instructs you, maybe gives you a written copy, but a couple of paragraphs worth is about it? You would think, uh, I mean, I would think you would say, uh, here's the charge, and you just have a few instructions. Yeah. I mean. But but, I would think it's pretty generic, and uh, 36 pages, wow. But the defense, you know, filed um, basically for a mistrial today. And they might get it. Yeah. You know, I'm no lawyer, obviously, but uh, clearly the prosecution withheld evidence on that on that tape and i just um I, i'm starting to think that maybe the prosecution wants a mistrial <laughs> well it would a mistrial look better than an out and out loss yep you know, anyway could be the gateway pundit is reporting today that in kenosha are you ready for this mm. there are piles and piles and pallets of bricks throughout the city that what are, yes that are suddenly appearing. Uh, if you go on the Gateway Pundit, the, the story is at the top of their uh, page. At least it was about two hours ago. And they've got police scanner audio. It was. I was thinking about playing some for you, but it's so fuzzy it's hard to understand. But you can hear police officers calling in on the scanner saying, what, what are these pallets of brick for in the middle of this park? The Gateway Pundit has uh, reporting that uh, apparently the bricks are being delivered uninhibited to riot sites. So uh, the left mm. is getting ready. I mean, why in this day and age, when they can track down everybody that entered the Capitol on January the 6th, why can they not trace who ordered and who paid for these bricks? It's intentional, you know. I mean, it's it's it'd be so easy to find out. I mean, you could find out before we went home at six o'clock today it'd be so easy but you know, you know what the problem with this thing is we we are here we're we're waiting uh this verdict awaiting another potential riot situation 
and it probably could have been a this whole trial could have been avoided number one if the wisconsin governor would have called in the national guard to stop people from burning buildings down but now he's Thank calling you. in now he wants to call in the national guard because he's afraid the verdict is going to be you know not guilty or a mistrial we'll see we'll continue to follow that interesting story in the news and observer today talking about some of the areas of the state that will have a nice little windfall for uh, the the new budget that was passed. And Greenville was mentioned in this, along with some other parts of the state. But but this this is a hoot, the way the News and Observer reports this. I, I literally laughed out loud. They report, and this, this is a, a section of an, a larger article, but it, it, con- it concerns the, the money that Greenville will be receiving from the budget. Senator Don Davis, a Democrat from Greenville, which, by the way, is from Snow Hill, was also one of the four Senate Democrats who were at the negotiating table. <laughs> Included in the budget is millions in funding for renovations at East Carolina University's Brody School of Medicine, a win Davis has sought for years. Good grief. <laughs> this is the guy that could put the kibosh on this happening two years ago. He, he voted for it, and then when Roy Cooper put pressure on him, he wouldn't override the veto, the veto of the budget that he voted for. Right. and That included the Brody School of Medicine. And his vote was the vote that counted. Yep. He said, we have to look at ways to transform eastern North Carolina and rural areas in our state in particular, Davis said after the vote on Tuesday. When you put it all together, it was the right thing to do not only for eastern North Carolina and my part of the state, but for the residents of the state of North Carolina. (laughs) Unbelievable. Darn right. It was the right thing to do two years ago. (laughs) But for the News and Observer to report, oh, he's been fighting for this for years. I quit taking the news observer when I stopped freezing, when I stopped freezing fish, because <laughs> that's about all it's good for is when, to wrap when your, frozen when your parakeet fish. died. You cut out the news and <laughs> observer. Um, by the way, real quickly, yesterday we were talking about the new um, designation of US two sixty four to Interstate five eighty seven, which had been approved. I guess it happens early next year, and we were talking about you know the folks that were involved in that process. And I uh, got a call from an individual today who was very much informed on what happened. And it was just sort of interesting to take a uh, look back that this actually goes back quite a ways. That uh, originally 264 was built with an interstate in mind, but the codes had changed since then. And uh, the big thing was they had to increase the size of the aprons. But so uh, this has a long history going back to, you know, parts of 264. When I moved down here from Maryland in 1986, 264 was under construction. So it goes back that far. And uh, when Pat McCory was in, there was meetings with folks that uh, were in the know, said, okay, this has to be done. And the big thing, and as we're, we're talking, there were some things that have probably changed over the years in terms of what it means to come into compliance. But uh, the big thing of recent years was that the, the widening of the aprons, the, the shoulders, uh, had to be done, and if you were going up and down 264, you noticed that uh, that work was done over the last 12 months. But here's the other thing that's interesting. You know, we're talking about 264, but right now, U.S. 64, parts of that, I guess all the way up to Williamston, looks like it will receive interstate status as soon as those aprons are widened. I don't think that work has started yet, 
but uh, the money has been designated for that. So uh, not only will 264 have a, I, uh, an interstate uh, designation, so will U.S. 64. So uh, more good news for eastern North Carolina. Yeah, and if it's been designated, um, <clears throat> of course, you know, they've got to They've got to get around spending it, and uh, you can go on to DOT's website and pull up those construction budgets and uh, the, the TIP, Transportation Improvement Programs, and it will show all that information. East Carolina University reported student voting on its campus increased 21% in last year's presidential election. A press release from the school said 73% of its students voted in 2020. That's hard to believe. I mean, really, that 73% of your students voted? That's a big number. I mean, that's that, a huge. Number. I mean, that's a lot bigger number than the general population, right? Well, well oh, let's yeah. see. It, it's much higher than the, uh, the the. Well, we had some pretty high ones this time. I think we did. Yeah. The release notes that the nationwide sixty six percent of students voted in twenty twenty, up from fifty two percent in twenty sixteen. The U.S. Census Bureau says the fourteen percent increase outpaced that of all Americans, which jumped six percent from sixty one percent to sixty seven percent. So nationwide, the student vote was pretty much right there where the average American vote was of all Americans. But in uh, at East Carolina, 73%. Now, listen, I'm all for uh, – th- this is great. I- I'm for everybody getting out and doing their uh, due diligence to find out what's on the ballot and who to vote for, uh, get involved in the process. But let me say that um, Nancy Thomas – who is the director of the Institute for Democracy and Higher Education, came out with this statement. We attribute this high level of participation to many factors, including student activism on issues such as racial injustice, (laughs) global climate change, and voter suppression, as well as increased efforts by educators to reach students and connect them to the issues and to the voting resources. Could you please show me some examples of your – look, I'm not saying there's n- that racial injustice doesn't exist, but there's not systemic racial injustice, as we hear the left talking about. Um, global climate change? No, I don't think so. Voter suppression? Could you please give me some examples of that? Now, the only voter per- per- uh, suppression I see going on Uh, are things like what we talked about yesterday when the Democrats in Pitt County decided they're going to go and collude. Three of them are going to collude and redraw the maps without input from the public. Mm -hmm. Is that the kind of voter suppression you're talking about? What was was that woman's name with that organization? Uh, Nancy Thomas. Nancy Thomas. Who is Mm -hmm. the director of the Institute for Democracy and Higher Education. Well, Nancy Thomas did a fabulous job of not expressing an original thought at all in that statement. <laughs> I, I will, much. I will give her that because it's right straight from the from the, the Democrat playbook. I mean, I could I could pull up forty statements in five minutes. That's almost word for word for uh, yeah, that, yeah. and it's just amazing to me. Not that, original thought no, in the house. No. So, uh, some good news for Americans. Some bad news for Joe Biden. National Review and numerous media outlets are reporting today that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, has suspended implementation and enforcement of the Biden administration's vaccine mandate for private employers after a federal court blocked the measure. The OSHA website had dedicated the COVID vaccine emergency temporary standard. Uh, It now reads, while OSHA remains confident in its authority to protect workers in emergencies, 
OSHA has suspended activities related to the implementation enforcement of the ETS pending further developments in the litigation. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Fifth Circuit came out and they said um, that they put a stay on this. And then they also said OSHA back down, back off. In other words, we don't want you to even have a hint that you might go in this direction. I mean, that's my interpretation of what they said. But but they're backing off. Well, yeah, the, uh, I was just making sure of this. I thought OSHA reported to the Secretary of Labor. So we're, who are they get their orders from to do this? Because, you know, in, in the executive branch, you know, Joe Biden can tell his Secretary of Labor to tell the OSHA to, hey, do it. Well, they, they could. I wonder who. I wonder whether. Wonder what's prompting this. I mean, I know the court case, but um, you know, mo- most of the time, these people in the the departments, uh, unless there's a Republican office, <laughs> I mean, they don't. They don't. Uh, well, the Republicans they don't do, have all been kicked out. They don't do things on their own. So I'm just wondering. Wonder who made that order. Well, what what is even more interesting about this story is the Epic Times is reporting. So this was this was a three judge panel from the Fifth Circuit that basically said, okay, we're going to put a stay on Joe Biden's order. I think it was till uh, January the 4th, I believe. I'm, I'm not seeing that date in front of me. But I'm pretty sure from memory that was the date. So, they, you know, you're, you're, they were told to back off. It was temporary stay. I, I, again, I don't remember what the date is. But today, the uh, an appeals court that this will go to next. Now, eventually it'll get to the Supreme Court. There's no doubt about that. But... I'm sure the Biden administration will appeal this, and if they do, it is there's a lottery that they pick. Okay, what court will this go to? Well, it turns out that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit was the, quote, winner of the lottery that was triggered by multiple appeals because you had appeals from all across the United States. Now, if there was an appeal and it was just in one circuit, one district— it would go to that court. But when there's multiples all across the nation, which this was, they do a lottery. It went to the Sixth Circuit. Now, what's important about this is the Sixth Circuit, which oversees Kentucky, Michigan, Ohio, and Tennessee, active and senior status judges include six nominees from Trump, eight nominees from George W. Bush, three nominees from President George H.W. Bush, three nominees from Ronald Reagan, five nominees from President Bill Clinton, and two nominees from Barack Obama. In in other words, that means 20 of the 27 judges were nominated by Republican presidents. It also means that, uh, let's see, uh, 11 of them (laughs) are nominated by Reagan and Trump. Uh, Not good news for Joe Biden, says Lawrence Ghostin, director of the O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law. Uh, the Sixth Circuit panel will decide whether to keep in place the mandate, which was ordered on November the 6th by the three judge Republican-nominated judges. Uh, anyway, we'll see where that goes. But not good news for um, not good news for Joe Biden and uh, for those people that want to uh, see this uh, earlier court stay overturned. Gosh, these guys that was appointed by Ronald Reagan, they they were they, either, they've got to be up there. They were either really young they, or yeah. up there or both. <laughs> They were nominated when they graduated from kindergarten. <laughs> we got to take a time out. Lots more to talk about. Always like to hear from you. 561-8255. Stay with us. Tom and Benny will be right back.
Join the show. 252-561-TALK. News and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Can you believe a week from tomorrow's Thanksgiving Day? Wow. Holidays are here. I mean, that's really the start of uh, start of the holidays, right? In fact, a week from Sunday is Advent Sunday, the, I mean, the first Sunday of Advent. So, man, it's it's here. And we got holiday weather. Um, yeah. Well, not today. Not but. today and tomorrow, but, you know, <laughs> the, this weekend and next week until Thanksgiving. It's, it's you know, it's fall. It's cool and crisp, but, but nice. Friday so. night's low is going to be 31 in eastern Carolina, so uh, get ready for another frost. But uh, now, between now and then, now Friday's going to be cool. But uh, tomorrow, sunny and a high near 77. So uh, Golf short enjoy weather. That. Yeah, um, could be. Could be. By the way, um, it is interesting to note Joe Biden, his numbers are terrible. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry to laugh, but I'm just thinking about his most recent presentation yesterday. Uh, what did he do this time? He's just... He is absolutely lost, <laughs> and and I think you know these poll numbers you're, you're going to talk about. I think the voters and and they see it that uh, they're wondering who who in the world's running the country. Well, what's really interesting is the latest poll by Politico Morning Consult. It was concerning the president's health and uh, mental fitness. Only 40% of voters surveyed agreed with the statement that Biden is in good health. That means 60% say he's not. Hmm. 60% say he's not. You know, how about the 40%? The 40% either haven't watched anything that he said in the last year or either um, they're just— they're just really good at being ignorant. Or they're as rough a shape as he's in and yeah. can't discern. 50% disagree with that, uh, 10% gap. I, I said 60%. This, this says 50%. 10% don't know. Outside the poll's margin of error represents a massive 29% 29-point uh, shift since October of 2020. Um, so it has gone in the wrong direction by 29 points. Ask whether Biden is mentally fit. Voters are almost evenly split, 46% saying he is, 48% saying he's not. So half of the United States, half of the voters say our president is not mentally fit. Mm. Survey is... uh, And that's not broken down by party, right? uh, I'm sure you could go in and dig a little deeper. I don't have that in front of me. Um, Biden will turn 79 uh, just a few days from now. So uh, n- not good news. Uh, more bad news for the Dems. There's plenty of it when it comes to uh, what's going on around us. And this is now this is a mayor's race in a moderately sized city. It's actually out of Columbia, South Carolina. How big is Columbia? I'd say that's bigger than greenville is yeah it's probably um, a couple hundred thousand two hundred i think it's 000. about i think it's about like raleigh not the raleigh metro area but i think it's similar to raleigh just columbia but but their metro area is not as big as the triangle anyway the person that was running for the mayor of columbia democrat named tamika isaac divine she had endorsements from President Obama, from Jim Clyburn, 
And by the way, what's interesting about this is the Democrats have won the city of Columbia by huge margins in the past. Obama, according to the Washington Free Beacon, released an audio message in support of Devine. When he ran, he carried the city by 29 points in in 2008, 33 points in 2012. Anyway, make a long story short, the Democrat lost. The Democrat lost to a Republican businessman, Daniel Rickenman, uh, 52% to 48%. And um, Rickenman was uh, on the city council. But this is a solid blue area that Democrats don't lose in. So now I, I realize South Carolina is a fairly conservative state, but the city of Columbia, not so much. So this is another huge blow to the Democrats. I, and they're paying attention to this. This got national attention. The Democrats' losses in South Carolina and Virginia come as Biden's poll numbers continue to slump. According to a Suffolk University poll earlier this week, painted a grim picture of the party's chances in 2022 midterms. The survey, which was taken after Virginia's election, but before the House Democrats passed the infrastructure bill, showed Biden with nearly a rock-bottom approval rating, Kamala Harris with numbers that are even worse. Among the top-line numbers, according to USA Today, Suffolk University, are a 37.8% approval rating for Biden with a 59 disapproval rating, more than 21 points underwater. 46% of those indica- included in the survey say Biden has done a worse job than expected, say they don't want Biden to run for re-election. Congressional Democrats, meanwhile, may face an uphill battle. Um, uh, Let's see. According to the USA Suffolk University poll, it gives Republicans a 46% to 38% advantage on the generic congressional ballot. 46% to 38%. And we've talked about those numbers before, but that's a landslide in political talk. Oh, yeah. And uh, full disclosure, I blew those numbers. (laughs) Columbia, South Carolina is about 140,000, and Raleigh is like a little over 400. Okay. But their metro area, I think Columbia's metro area is about two-thirds of what the Raleigh metro area is. You know, it's, it's interesting about, because you, if you drive through Columbia, which that, that's a little bit larger than Greenville, but if you, if you drive through Columbia, it feels much larger yeah, than, that, than Greenville does. It's a stretched-out metro area. Yeah. And, you know, South Carolina, I think, is kind of similar to Virginia in that you know, you take out Greenville, Spartanburg um, out of the equation. You know, their po- their populated areas is on the coast and more Democrat, and then the western part is just you know you know rural areas and and vote ninety uh, percent Republican in a lot of pl- a lot of places. Do you know who Jacob Chansley is? Mm, nope, it's a new one. If you recognized, if you saw his picture, you'd know who he is. He is the guy that uh, had the Viking horns that went out through oh, yeah, the capital. Yeah. Now, mm. now, he is also known as QAnon Shaman. Mm-hmm. Um, he was uh, he was the guy that looked like he was dressed up as a Viking with a blue and white paint all over his face, no shirt on. And uh, Anyway, to make a long story short, he is now going to prison for 41 months. 34-year-old Arizona resident was arrested following the uh, breach of the capital. Um, what you did was horrific, as you now concede, said the uh, Judge Joyce uh, Royce Lambert. It is uh, the type of conduct that's so serious I cannot justify downward departure. 
The sentence comes nearly a week after federal prosecutors recommend he serve 51 months. During his sentencing, Assistant U.S. Attorney Kimberly Paschal described the defendant as a primary instigator of the riot despite the fact that he did not assault anyone. Paschal claimed Chansley's actions were not peaceful, pointing to a video from inside the Capitol where he yelled, It's time, uh, time's up, blankety blank. Paschal also cited a written note he left on Vice President Mike Pence's desk, which reads, Justice is coming. If the defendant had been peaceful on that day, Your Honor, we would not be here, she said. The defendant's attorney, Al Watkins, pushed for leniency as his client's case, noting that prison psychologists found that he suffers from a variety of mental illnesses, including transient schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, depression, and anxiety. Then why would he do what he did? <laughs> well, he was clearly a nut. If you saw any of the videotape, he's clearly a nut. I, you know, 41 months... Um, I mean, they, I don't think they had any evidence from what I read of him, like, physically destroying things. I, I mean, I got a question of how, how about the uh, FBI instigators that are clearly, yes. clearly have been identified as FBI people. Are they going to be prosecuted? Yeah, I forget when it was, but, Thomas, you know, Thomas Massey was questioning um, Attorney General Merrick Garland and, you know, asked the question of, of you know, how many FBI agents were involved in the instigate. And, of course— Attorney General Garland, uh, oh, yeah, he can't comment on you know, this ongoing uh, investigation. Give me a break. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm not uh, – I'm certainly not approval of what he did, but that, that, seems, uh, that seems a little harsh to me. Yeah. Compared to – I mean, we, we've not even charged people that have burned Thank federal you. buildings down. Thank you. You're reading my I, notes. I mean, gosh. You're reading my notes. I didn't I, see look, your notes. <laughs> I, I would just – no, I, I agree 100% yeah. with you. I would just like to see some evidence – that those who burnt down these cities in 2020, multiple cities across the, the country, I would just like to see some evidence that they will be held accountable in a like manner. I'm not saying let this guy off, but I'm just saying could we have equal justice? Yeah. And if we're not, yeah. then the guy ought to be let off. You know, the summer of love, as they said in Portland, but you know, yeah. in, in D.C. when they, you know, they made fun of Trump of running and hiding in the bunker, and then they, and they told the lie about the Capitol Police. You know, shooting tear gas on the on the protesters, which you know they were rioters, they were not protesters, and um, it, it it kills me that they no one was charged with that. And clearly, if the Capitol Police uh, had not, and um, uh, and the FBI and the Secret Service had not been aggressive enough during those protests that summer um, with the you know the Black Lives Matter protests. Clearly, they would attack the White House. Well, they did attack the White House. They had to put yeah. up barricades. Yeah. So, and and yet there's not, nothing, no charges. Yeah. Wh wh why are the people that attacked Ron Paul, Rand Paul, and his wife, mm -hmm. wh wh have they been brought to justice? I don't think so. I haven't heard anything about it. I think you would. I think you would if they had. So yesterday we talked about the fact that the FBI, speaking of Mayor Garland, put threat tags on parents protesting at school board meetings. The information was exposed by a whistleblower. Uh, what's interesting about this is the FBI is now trying to defend itself as this is no big deal. In an effort to do damage control, the FBI released a statement arguing, are you ready for this? The practice is standard 
and compared parents to drug dealers and human traffickers. Quote, a tag is merely a statistical tool to track information and for review and reporting. The creation of a threat tag in no way changes the longstanding requirements for opening an investigation, they said in the statement. Nor does it represent in a shift in how, I think it meant to be a shift, in how the FBI prioritizes threats. The FBI has used tags to track everything from drug trafficking to human trafficking. This is what they put out when they put tags on parents who go to school board meetings? You know, simple question. Did they tag the guy that was, you know, we just talked about within the yeah. last few days. Who that, threatened. That threatened was that he had a, Florida yeah, Florida yeah. had a thousand army of a thousand. Ready, that, locked re- and loaded. Locked and loaded. Or um, how about, um, I mean, there's been so many threats uh, recently. I mean, the, uh, just, re- well, last week. Black Lives Matter protester in New York talked about, you know, we're going oh, yeah. to burn this system yeah. down. Threaten the new mayor. Thre- threaten the new mayor. I mean, is he tagged? Yeah. I mean, Thank you. Crazy. And, and by the way, this just out today, parents in Loudoun County, Virginia, everything happens out of Loudoun County. I mean, these people that are running this school board up there must be the most inept, boneheaded people in in, in education, they call themselves professional educators. Parents in Loudoun County, Virginia, are outraged after school officials failed to notify them ahead of time about a survey administered to their kids asking questions about their sex lives and gender identities. The Virginia Department of Health, which developed the Virginia Youth Survey, states that written notification must be given to parents by the school at least 30 days before administration by the administration before they take this survey, and they can opt out. But Loudoun County, Loudoun Valley High School, quote, mistakenly administered the survey without notifying parents. The survey, which is voluntary, was given to at least 180 students. Ninety of them completed it. The school said in an email to parents, the survey for high schoolers asked questions like, are you a transgender? Have you been tested for sexually transmitted diseases? Have you ever had sexual intercourse? With how many people have you had sexual intercourse? Students are asked not to write their names in the survey, and they're told to skip questions they feel uncomfortable in answering. The Virginia Department of Health describes the survey as a statewide surveillance system that monitors health risk behaviors to contribute to leading causes of death. Now, what's interesting about this is, okay, we want to find out health risk, but you're asking, are you a transgender? So what does that tell you? Asking high school kids about transgender and and their sex life, basically. One Loudoun County mother who asked not to be identified was livid and sickened by the questions that her 14-year-old daughter texted her while taking the survey and said she felt uncomfortable. In the email to parents, the school's assistant principal, Bill Gulgert, said the survey was administered without families being sent an opt-out form, and the school, quote, regrets the era. (laughs) These people are so inept. We have communicated with the Virginia Population Health Survey's coordinator that they have removed data collected from these surveys, Gilbert said. Again, we apologize for this error. Loudoun Valley High School respects the right of parents to be notified on such matters. What BS? I want you to know the data will not be used. You know, this idiot, the invasion of the kid's privacy has already taken place. The 14-year-old little girl has already been offended. Mm. 
The Loudoun County mom said Gilgert told her they had never notified parents in the past and wasn't aware that they were supposed to do so. So apparently this has happened multiple times before. And listen, the parents are livid. And now here's the question is, what will Garrett Merritt Garland's response be to these parents? Will we arrest the parents and charge them with domestic terrorism for complaining? And this is Loudoun County. Loudoun County again. <laughs> and, and, and you wonder why parents are livid. Why parents go to school board meetings and explode. They ought to explode. You, you ought to be happy that they're, all they're doing is exploding. And maybe you ought to take this principle and others who malfeasance, not following the rules, send it out. Are you going to go hold them accountable? Unbelievable. Can you imagine being asked when you were in middle school or high school about your sex life? I I, I don't want to sound overly naive and stupid. But, you know, when when, when I was 14 years old, you were just beginning to understand some of those things. I mean, you say, oh, where have you been, Lamprecht? But. Listen, I, it's it's unbelievable. Hey, five six one eight two five five. Hang on, if you're putting on hold, we're gonna take a time out. We'll come back and get to your phone calls. Promise, we'll be right back. Back to news and views. Talk ninety six point three and one zero three seven. All right, welcome back in five six one eight two five five. Marty has been waiting patiently. Hey, Marty. Hey, Marty. How you doing, Mister Tom? Mister Benny, how are you today? Doing great. Good to hear from you. What are you thinking about? I got a question about one of your earlier topics. I believe it was your first one about the uh, Kenosha case. Yes. Thinking back to my high school days, that was a while back. But uh, if they try him and find him not guilty, then they couldn't retry him because it'd be double jeopardy. But if they find him, if it's a mistrial, wouldn't that open the door for them to uh, recharge him and retry him again? I think that's correct. But <laughs> I, I, I think it probably varies from state to state. Yeah, there's two types of mistrial, uh, and I, one without prejudice and one with prejudice, I think. And I can't remember which one. One, you could, they cannot be tried. That would be uh, prejudice. Prejudice, yes. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, your you're, you're, uh, you're line good, of thinking is correct. Good question. Uh, I, I was just wondering because uh, that that may open up a new door for him to try to go in the back door and do something else to the young boy. Well, listen, the defense is asking for a mistrial. So I would have to think that whatever version, with prejudice or without prejudice, they're, they're asking for would free Kyle Rittenhouse, that the, that you. it would be over. I, I, I would. I mean, that just would make sense. I mean, why would you ask? for a mistrial when right now I, I would think they're smart enough to realize that I think Kyle Rittenhouse is in the driver's seat, but uh, right. we'll see what happens. Now, I suppose if they came back with some sort of guilty verdict, then they could scream all the louder for a mistrial, but right. uh, we'll see where it goes. Good question right. though. Hey, Thank thanks you. for, thanks for calling Marty. Appreciate it. Thanks yes, for listening. Um, do you remember the guy Tanner Cross speaking of Loudoun County? Yeah, mm-hmm. he was uh, he was the gym teacher that got up last spring at a school board meeting after they passed a uh, policy. It was called Policy eighty forty, and it was officially approved on August eleventh. But it was being considered even before that. And I think it was last May. 
he got up at a school board meeting and said, and, and, and this policy, by the way, is a transgender policy that said you must, it specifies that all staff shall allow gender expansive or transgender students to use their chosen name and gender pronouns that reflect their consistently asserted gender identity without any substantiating evidence, regardless of the name and gender recorded in the student's permanent educational record. Well, this Tanner Cross got up and said, I'm not going to do it. I refuse. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm a Christian, and I refuse to lie to these kids. I don't care what they think. I'm not going to lie to these kids. I'm not going to do it. And he was immediately suspended. Well, a lower court uh, said, stayed the suspension, put him back. Well, now the Loudoun County School Board has agreed to a permanent injunction prohibiting it from retaliating against uh, Tanner Cross at all in the future. So he's been fully reinstated. But two other teachers have also joined with Tanner Cross. And it sounds to me like uh, the Loudoun County School Board is going to have to back off significantly. And let me say uh, two kudos again to the um, Alliance Defending Freedom. Mm. These guys do a tremendous job. Again, they defended Tanner Cross and these other teachers joined in his complaint against the Loudoun County School District, and they've won. And and that's what it's going to take. It's going to take brave men and women stepping out uh, at the risk of losing everything yep. Yep. before other people can you know, stand up and join them. Listen, how do you stop a bully? You stand up against them. Absolutely. You stand up to them. 561-8255. Who'd you say we have, Clark? Tony. Tony. Hey, Tony's on the line. Hey, Tony. Hey, Tony. Hey, how y'all doing? Doing well. Good to hear from you. I listen to you when I can, and it's the first time I ever called you. Well, thanks for calling. Um, thanks for listening. I like what you do. I like your show. Uh, I'm getting real tired of these folks like these, well, you see these mayors, principals, superintendents, school boards. All the way up to, to Brandon, doing what they want. <laughs> when they want, how Let's they want go, to Brandon. Kids these questions. And then, and then when somebody busts against them, they're all shocked and, and like, oh, look at you. You're a racist. You're an extremist. Yep. You know, they label you. But you know what? Poke the bear. Keep poking the bear. Mm-hmm. But don't be surprised and butthurt and say, oh, the bear bit me. Well, what did you expect the bear to do? Sit there and let you poke it all day? You know, uh, this this school board Loudoun County, I don't know where these clowns come from. They need to they need to flush the whole group and start from scratch. Well, they as as happens often, Democrats way overplay their hand, mm-hmm. and Loudoun County oh, and Terry McAuliffe way overplayed their hand. And when Terry McAuliffe, I, you know, we couldn't have asked for a better Christmas present than Terry McAuliffe putting both feet in his mouth when he said parents have no say in their child's education. And uh, it, that couldn't be a sweeter moment. And, and, you know, as soon as he said that, I yeah. thought, uh-oh, boy, you have blown it big time, buddy. Oh, thank, thankfully, he torpedoed his own campaign. Oh, yeah. Good. Yeah. And, you know, you know some, give him enough rope to hang yourself. Well, here, here's the good news is that uh, what they're doing – is a, a great awakening for many, many people. And I think many people that have traditionally been considered as probably leaning left are starting to reconsider how crazy the lefties are. And they're starting to, you know, they might not become, uh, you know, die hard conservatives, but they are certainly yeah. r- recognizing the fact that liberalism, pure socialism, 
just doesn't work and it's dangerous. Well, you know, I think a lot of people. Maybe they're getting. Yeah, go ahead, Marty. Oh, this is uh, Tony. Hi, Tony. I'm sorry. Uh, Maybe they're getting on the right side of woke, the right woke, waking up and seeing what these stupid people are actually doing and what they're trying to do. Well, I think think the key is, you know, there are a lot of people that are center-right and center-left, and these people that are center-left oftentimes are not too different than people that are center-right from when it comes to individual rights and freedoms and just want to be left alone. But when you start saying as a government, hey, I, I'm responsible for your kids, not you, that's when that worm is going to turn. Oh, yeah. I think it's starting yeah. to turn. Yeah, big yeah. time, big time. Hey, Tony, we got to take a break. Thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Shotgun with your 5 o'clock drive. The drive home should be a delight. This is Tom Lamprecht with more news and views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Have you been following at all this Soleil Omaravo? She is the commie that uh, Biden wants to put in charge of the uh, Treasury Department. Got got sticky fingers, I think. Yeah. Yeah, Came out today. She's a thief. (laughs) Back in uh, 1995, she was arrested for retail theft. And the Obama White House said, well, you know, this is a case that was ultimately dismissed in 96, 25 years ago. It was a misunderstanding. It was a confusing situation. She was not found innocent. She was not prosecuted because it was her first offense. That does not mean she was not a thief. It was more interesting, though. I mean, this woman... <laughs> is an out and out commie. Absolutely. I, I was going to say I'm more concerned about the fact that she was educated in the Soviet Union and yeah. And when you read some of the stuff that she's written, I mean, it's just scary. Well, one of the things that she was written, she she wrote a paper, which has been taken offline uh, when she was up at Cornell Law School. The paper was. Um, Law professor at Cornell University, a 89 graduate of Moscow State University, generated suspicion over apparent sympathy towards Soviet Union and its purported gender uh, gender quality. She was likewise called for the bankruptcy of oil companies to fight climate change and push for the Federal Reserve to manage consumer bank deposits. She basically wants oil companies to go out of business. She wants to micromanage banks. Um, but uh, Pat Toomey, the ranking member of the Senate Banking Committee, uh, wants her to turn over her thesis entitled Karl Marx's Economic Analysis and the Theory of Revolution in Das Kapital. Mm. So uh, she wrote this when she was over at Moscow State University. I'd like this, to read it. Yeah. This is who Joe Biden wants to put in charge of all the banking across the country. Wow. Hey, thanks for being with us. We'll do it again tomorrow. Play a little political trivia. See you at five. Bye-bye, everybody. All right, all right.